This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Bishop Stuart Ruck and is part three of Transform, Being Changed by Generosity. The Lord has given us here at Resurrection an electrifying vision. It was a year ago that we as leaders brought to all of us as the people of God the call upon resurrection to equip everyone for transformation, a call to be focused and to be diligent about preparing and readying all the people of God, whether you are new to Christianity, whether you've been a Christian for many, many years, regardless of your particular ethnic or socioeconomic background, to prepare everyone for God's work of transformation, for the way He changes us, And in the way that as He changes us, He uses us to be agents of transformation and change in others' lives. This is really, in so many ways, a kind of counter-cultural call on resurrection. It is tempting for us and is tempting for many churches in a broader culture where social media and immediate access to all forms of distraction and entertainment occur. It is very tempting for the church in this day Rather than seeking to equip, to seek to entertain. Rather than seeking to send those workers, the people of God, to actually keep as many as possible. It becomes even more countercultural when we understand that equipping, at the heart of it, doesn't involve a particular technique, although there are things to be learned as you grow in your Christian life and there are tools to have in your toolkit. It is not especially a technique that Jesus gives us. Indeed, what He does is He transforms our hearts. And at the heart of being equipped is a heart that is transformed to sacrifice. It's a heart that is transformed to sacrifice generously all of who we are, everything we have, our time, and certainly our money, which is the focus of our series right now. So to be equipped is to be readied, to be taught, to be willing to be absolutely sacrificial, to live our lives for someone else, to live our lives beyond ourselves. And yet one of the greatest blocks to living that way, the greatest block to living sacrificially, the greatest block to living financially, sacrificially, is that we are so absolutely worried about money. We're just afraid. It is very possible that whatever your pattern is of keeping up on your finances or keeping track of your budget, it's very possible that you approach even that time with your laptop or if you're old school with your checkbook or however you do it, is a time of encountering significant anxiety. Perhaps you even procrastinate doing that or you just don't do it because even engage that part of your life is to engage serious anxiety. And our Father knows this about us. Jesus teaches into the fact that one of the most anxiety-producing things in our life is the reality of money and our relationship to money. It is indeed one of the most corrosive factors in relationships. Again and again, when divorced couples are polled as to why they divorced, the top five reasons always include the reality of finances and money and the anxiety that it produced. So we want, counterculturally, to equip everyone for transformation, and we want to call all of us to be engaged in generosity to see this equipping work realized, to see it released. So we've been very clear that our first goal in what we call a generosity initiative, it's a two-year initiative, 
We're one year into it. Our very first goal is 100% engagement of our members and our regular attenders. Here's why. Because it's core to your life as a Christian that you live generously. I also want 100% of you engaged in reading your Bible. I want 100% of you engaged in living your life in the church. 100% of you engaged in sharing your faith with others who do not have a life of faith in Christ or life in the church. There are certain things that we all are called to be engaged in, and the life of generosity is one of those things. Hence our call to 100% of us to be engaged. If you have your workbook, we have extras out there in the uh, narthex in the foyer, but on page 7, if you turn to page 7 in your workbooks, we've been using this tool. This is our third week using it, and we've been using it to help us think through, pray through, journal through our call to live this life of transformation, to live this life of generosity. You'll see that there are sort of three steps that we're calling the whole church to. For some of us, it's a catalytic step. It's a starting step. For some of you, next week when we give our commitment cards on the 23rd of October, you'll be starting a commitment. It's a one-year commitment to this call to equip everyone for transformation. Maybe because you're new in the last 12 months or 12 months ago you weren't ready to make a commitment. And we'd like to catalyze new commitments. Some of you, you've made a commitment and we're hoping this series out of Luke 12 is strengthening you. We're hoping you're drawing courage from Jesus' perspective on money about the commitment that you made. Finally, the third group would be those who are in a place to increase your commitment. Some of you, have commi- you finished it already. You made the commitment and you finished it. Your financial situation perhaps has changed. Your faith life has changed and you actually want to increase your commitment in the Lord. Then that would be a prayer point for you. You'll see that all this is going to come down very concretely to a commitment card and we'll all engage with this commitment card next week. As I mentioned, the 23rd, we'll have a chance to bring our commitment cards forward. It's right this we'll, way. We'll Let's be come able up to, this way. We'll find a space to meet. I'm sure we can find one. Just right up here. See, look, there's an empty space right at the front. I think we'll, we'll fit. It's going to be fine. Look, there's whoa, whoa, an empty whoa, whoa, space whoa, whoa, right whoa, whoa, here. Whoa, 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 Margie, Margie. Um, whoa, 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 kids. Right over uh, here, folks. Right over here on the steps. Oh, whoa, 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 hang on. Look what's okay, happening. Good, I, good. I am preparing to Perfect. preach the Word of God. I'm sorry, Stuart, but we have run out of space in Res Kids to teach lessons today. Run out of space. Whoa, 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 hold on. This is a huge building. How can you not have space in this building? Believe it or not, our children's ministry is bursting at the seams. In fact, at the 9 o'clock service, we have 25 two-year-olds in one room. Terrifying. It's terrifying. And it's not just the children, the youth ministry as well. They have no space to call their own here. On Wednesday nights, you will find them meeting in every corner, including every staff office and even backstage. So since I'm here, I might as well say that if we meet our $7 million budget goal for Move by Jesus, we could build out the much-needed classroom space and ministry space, not just for children and for youth, but for the adults too, for everyone. Your gifts would also contribute to reaching the lost through new church plants, providing greater pastoral support for crucial ministries like res groups and transformation intensive, and protecting and equipping our space for worship. Wow. Um, Well, I will say this. I did have an experience a year ago where I was leaving on a Wednesday night and we had res youth here. And someone said, take the elevator downstairs. I said, I never take the elevator. I've never been in that elevator. They said, take, take the elevator downstairs. So I went up, I pressed the button of the elevator, and there were 11 young women 
for res youth meeting there because there was no other space for them to do their small group. We'll take any space. Okay. That's great. great. I guess this space isn't going to work, folks. So let's find another space to meet. Maybe the roof is available right now. <laughs> All right, in case you're wondering what's happening to Res, are we going to have skits in every service? Don't see it as a skit. See it as a living parable. All right, does that make you feel better? All right. Uh, thank you, Margie. Uh, thank you, children. Um, now get out of here and let's get busy. All right, you guys. Uh, turn with me to page 18, 19 of your, um, your, your workbook here. We're going to begin to reflect on our text here in Luke chapter 12. You have it also in your bulletin. 15, 18 years ago, several years ago, I attended a church conference, and I went to a breakout at the church conference. It was a smallly attended uh, breakout. It was led by a pastor named Randy Pope who had planted a church in Atlanta, Georgia called Perimeter Church. The breakout was about God's power to provide. And Pastor Randy told a story, actually told several stories, of a life that he and his wife were living with their several children, where basically they were financially planning in a way that made them pray. It's one of my key points last week. And if you haven't heard our last two sermons on generosity, please hop online, get on our podcast, and listen to those. So he would planned in a way that made them pray. And he told one story after another through a variety of ways that God had provided for him and his family. He told one story that so many years later I still remember well. It was them moving to Atlanta to plant this church. The rent was coming due. It was a $400 rent. Randy shared that he had read a lot of missionary biographies, and so he was kind of excited because he believed that God was going to provide because they did not have the financial means to pay for that month's rent. They had set it aside, but had gone to other crucial and urgent needs. And he said, I know that in missionary biographies, the way it always happens is like an envelope comes in the mail. He said, so three days ahead of time, I just knew I'd go to my P.O. box at the post office and there would be an envelope with $400 in it. So I went and I opened it up and it was empty. So, so now I thought, oh, well, God's going to stretch my faith some. I'll go two days away from the rent being due and I'll open up the P.O. box. And he did. And it was empty. And now Randy said, I didn't want to live in a missionary biography. I just wanted the money. But I knew that sometimes it happens at the last minute. So I went on the day the rent was due to the P.O. box and I opened it up and it was empty. And now I was afraid. And that evening at 5 p.m., our doorbell rang and I opened the door. And there, without any person standing there, was an envelope, and it was right there on the welcome mat, and there was $400 in it. Do you believe that? I mean, is that just a Christian magic story? Or could that be true? That day, as he told those stories, it wasn't just the stories, it was how he was. He, he struck me as a person of security. He, he struck me as someone with peace. And he struck me as someone who was on an adventure. It's like he was living in a world that I had heard of, especially overseas, 
but he's living in a world in my own country, and I realized I wanted into that world he was living in. I was already committed to living generously, but now I wanted to live by God's provision in a radical, sort of kingdom-minded way. And he cast a vision and gave me a picture of what a life without constant anxiety, but, without, but, but with a kind of consecrated anticipation could look like waiting on God to provide for my needs and my family's needs. I learned that God is always providing. And that is indeed the key teaching that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 12 today. God is always providing. And we can be generous. We can be free from anxiety because He's always providing. And you will not get to a place of freedom unless you know that your providing Father knows you and what you need. God is always providing. It is core and intrinsic to the very character of God Himself. So let me ask two takeaway questions. You've got a takeaway question section there in your workbook on page 19. Two takeaway questions. The first is this. Do you personally have Father Knows stories? Do you have stories of the Father knowing what you need and providing for you? And are they fresh stories? Do you have fresh Father Knows stories? This is especially to do with financial provision, but certainly could be relational provision, spiritual provision, medical provision. But do you have living stories of a father who knows who's provided for you? Could you share that story? Would you be able to share that story with somebody next to you if we took a moment to do that right now? Are they that alive? Are you in that world? And second related question to that is, do you have father knows best stories? Where what you thought and needed to be provided actually wasn't because God wanted to provide the kingdom in a different way. Do you have Father Knows provision stories? And do you have Father Knows best kingdom stories? Those questions and our text here get, get caught and bound up in the last two verses of our, of our section there, verses 30 and 31. So we have a very poetic section given to us. Jesus is painting these really beautiful poetic pictures of ravens and of lilies. It's a really fine piece of literature, as well as being sacred scripture. And it all gets really, really clear in verse 30. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. That's the Father knows. Instead, though, seek His kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. That's the Father knows best. Jesus has been teaching on the Father even prior to this particular teaching in Luke 12. In Luke chapter 11, the chapter just before this, he teaches his followers who ask him, we don't know how to pray. So he teaches them how to pray. And the first word that he teaches them in learning how to pray is one word. It's the first word. It's the most important word in the life of prayer. And it's the word Father. He's teaching them that their Father knows them and that they can actually know God who is described as Father to them. 
In the same way today as it was 2,000 years ago, so many have many diverse relationships with their father. We are not unique in our generation of some of us having very challenged relationships with our father. It was as true then as it is now, for sinful nature is as real now as it is then. But he wants them to understand that there is a father, a first father, who is their father in heaven, and that this father always is providing. Indeed, he says later in chapter 11 that your father, if you ask for something from him, if you ask for his presence and his help, will always give you the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 of chapter 11. So we have a father who knows us, a father who understands us, a father who knows we're anxious about the very things that we need, so that to remedy that anxiety, he wants to give us what we need. He actually wants to speak immediately to a profound felt need. It's a beautiful thing to be known. And it's really beautiful to be known in very practical, pragmatic ways, like food and clothing. In the Ruck family, we would consider alongside food and clothing one of the most important things in life to be coffee. It's just how it is in our family, and I blame that on my wife, Catherine, who grew up in Brazil. I'm innocent of the vice. She's drawn me in, beguiling me. And I now am addicted to coffee as she is. But it's a really fine addiction. So we had our anniversary this week on Monday, 24 years. Yay. Praise God. And I was in a meeting with one of you. And uh, Catherine shows up in the middle of the meeting, and she has in her hand a steaming cup of coffee. Not just any cup of coffee, though. She knows what kind of coffee I like because she knows me. She knows this afternoon, after 12 noon, so I'm not going to have any caffeine, so it's all decaf, but not just decaf. It's four shots of espresso decaf with just enough water just below the green seal in the Starbucks cup so that it's not too weak. A little bit of half and half, no sugar. Right. Because she knows me. I've chosen a very human example because the Father knows we are very human. I appreciated the cup of coffee. But I was profoundly touched by how well I'm known by my wife. How much more are you well known by your Father in heaven in a very human way? He knows your idiosyncrasies. He, he knows what you're afraid of. Your Father knows you. He knows the ravens and the lilies. Jesus is pulling stories from nature. He's painting pictures from nature that anybody could access and see. Look at the ravens. Consider the ravens. Consider the lilies. The ravens is especially helpful, I think. Ravens are nasty in this particular um, understanding. Often ravens were seen as birds of prey. So they were not lilies. You wouldn't fill your house with ravens as you might fill your house with lilies. They were nasty. And in that way, there's a sweetness as well. He knows that we're nasty. He knows we can be especially nasty about money, especially sinful about money, especially greedy about money, especially holding on to our possessions and refusing to release them. He knows our raven's heart and yet loves us and wants to meet us where we are, healing us, transforming our raven's heart, calling us in the sacrificial lives of freedom and absolute joy when it comes to money. Do you have a story 
of how the Father knows you and has provided for you. When Jesus says, consider the ravens, consider the lilies, he's saying, listen to them tell their story. The raven has a story. The lily has a story. So do the followers of Jesus. And this is more than just a kind of casual need. This is critical to your kingdom living, is that your kingdom life is full of father-knows-provision stories. Kath and I have tried to live a life that is impossible unless God provides financially, emotionally, spiritually. We try to live a life like that. We try to put ourselves in circumstances that later we wonder why we did it, and then we have to remind ourselves, oh, we're here because we're trying to live in a way that Father has to provide for us to make this work. And we've hoped that our children have come into that. We want our children to have that vision that Father will provide for them as He's provided for us. But it is much harder with my kids than it is for me to see them in a place where God has to provide for them. Our oldest son, Ellison, is a junior in high school. He's actually doing this semester in Brazil, South America, where my wife grew up. He's going to the school that she went to and that she taught at later. He came to us. Uh, he's got a really kind of epic sports tournament. He plays basketball and soccer, and all of his friends are going for five days away up to the mountains where they play a big eight sports conference, stay overnight. It's, it's the memory that everyone holds from their time at this school. And he let us know this would be $400. We didn't have that immediately. We hadn't planned on that expense. But we went to our savings accounts, and we said, well, you have to empty yours, and we'll do some of ours, and we can get $400 together. We can do that. You can do the Big 8 sports conference. He said, great. A few days after that, though, we discovered that he had a serious visa crisis to the point through some accidents and mistakes where he was going to be deported out of Brazil in a matter of days if he didn't fly out of the country and come back in and thus in the visa process sort of reignite his status. So that $400 that we were going to give to Big 8 went to a Buenos Aires, Argentina ticket. And he flew with his uncle out of the country and came back in. And I said to him, the good news is we can, we can do this ticket through your money and our money but there's no big eight money. I'm just so sorry, E. You're just, you're not going to be able to go. Unless your father chooses to provide for you in this occasion. And there's no guarantee that he'll provide this specifically. He will provide. I don't know about this. I was so proud of him. He said, okay. All right. I've seen this before. I'll pray. I was heartbroken, honestly, until last Sunday at his church, where we don't think anybody even knows that he had the visa snafu, somebody put an envelope in the offering plate that says, for Ellison Ruck's athletic tournament, utterly anonymous, given out of the blue. I'm glad Ellison can go to the tournament, but I'm not I'm not that excited about that. Tournaments come and go. But he will never forget that his Father in heaven knows him and seeks to provide for him. So, what happens when the $400 rent doesn't show up on the welcome mat? What happens if the offering envelope wasn't in the plate? What do we do with that? What do we do when there appears to be provision silence? 
Okay, there are a million reasons to love this book. But one of the reasons to love this book is that our Lord knows we're asking that question. That's actually a really important question to ask of this text, and you shouldn't be afraid to ask it or to actually push a little bit with that question. If you'll push with that question, it'll actually take you into a deeper understanding of the provision of God and how God truly and actually is always providing. To answer that question, let me read you a scripture from Isaiah in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. And here Israel, the people of God, are having an experience where they feel like God is silent. They feel like God's provision isn't forthcoming. And so they're asking this of God. Jerusalem, Israel says this, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And then Israel uses an image to describe how they feel. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? God's like a mom that's forgotten to nurse her child, Israel's saying. That's how abandoned and how needy we feel. And God says this. Even mothers may forget their children, but I will never forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. How can we say that God is always providing? Jesus said earlier in this text that life is more than these things that we think we need. Verse 23. Indeed, what we see is that in that moment where it appears like God is not providing, that God is silent in his provision or silent in our prayers, that God is not present in some capacity in that very moment where God may seem at his weakest, his most unable, we are drawn again to the engraved palms of the hand of our Lord Jesus, who on the cross, with nails in his very palms, appeared at his weakest, appeared at his most unable, appeared that the very provision that he had promised, which was that humanity in taking him into their hearts and following him could overcome death and the evil one, that that promise that he had made, the promise he had made that he would redeem the heavens and the earth, all the promises that he had made at that point in the period, he would not come through on his provision. He would not come through on his promise. He seemed indeed at his most unable to provide. And is that that we understand in the light of the cross, in the light of the resurrection, was actually Jesus' greatest and most provisional moment of all time. That when God appears to be backed off and appears to be silent, be assured he has engraved you on the palms of his hand. And if you're in a moment and you're asking and waiting for God's provision, you're waiting for God's healing, you're waiting for an answer to prayer, know that he has engraved you in the palms of his hand, that he is never not providing. He may not provide exactly what you thought you needed. He may not provide in the timing that you thought was so critical, but he is always providing the kingdom. Indeed, your father loves to give you the kingdom of God, and that is more important, Jesus is saying, than anything else. Live into the kingdom. Come into the fullness of the kingdom of God. That's where he's providing. Does he love to provide you the things that you need? So often, yes. So often he does. You should have Father Knows stories. But brothers and sisters, you should have Father Knows Best stories as well. He knows best that you need the kingdom of God. He may be silent, but he is never, ever absent.
always providing. Okay, this building that you're in right now is a 90,000 square foot symbol for us at Resurrection to always remember that that is true. I am thankful for this building, but what I'm more thankful for is the way we came to this building. Because this building is a sign that we thought God was being silent. We thought God was not providing. Indeed, we were mobile for 20 years, and we thought we had found 20 acres of beautiful rolling land a couple miles from here in the Wagner land. We thought for sure that was the land. Indeed, I felt in faith that that was the place that we were to go. We gathered all of us at Resurrection. We held our first generosity initiative. We needed to raise $3.4 million, and we were all absolutely sure we'd raise it. It was a $3.4 million or no go. We had to get that money. And I just knew we'd get that money. I just imagined that when I got the phone call after our commitment Sunday of pledges and expected giving, that we would have exceeded $3.4 million. Can you imagine my sense of God's silence, provisional silence, when I got that phone call and we were $1.6 million short of the $3.4 million? That all of a sudden this 20 acres of land that I had led the entire church toward went like that. I had faith. I had stories that God always provides. How could I explain it to my own self, much less to you all, what had happened? Well, obviously, God wanted to provide something else. He wanted to provide the kingdom. He wanted to call us into new seeking of Him, and we did. In the middle of that crisis, and it was a crisis for me personally, we did fine as a church. I called my mentor, Father William Bees, and I said, William, I'm just... I'm so confused. I thought for sure the money would come. I, I thought for sure this was the right time. Oh, William said, I'm so glad you called. I've been praying for you. And I actually had a prayer image. Sometimes Christians get images in prayer for others, Christians. So I, I had this prayer image. He said, it was of angels. And immediately I went, this is not going to be helpful. <laughs> I'm not in the angel place right now. I'm in the 1.6 million deficit place right now. He's like, no, 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 listen. They were counting the money that was given, and the money that they counted was exactly right. And I went, that is exactly so unhelpful. I did. I said, that, I, I, great. I'm, I'm happy you had an angel picture. I, that doesn't help me at all. And I went away sad. Until a year and a half later, we toured this building. We did our assessment. We did our research. We talked to banks and we found out that we had to have exactly a certain amount of money in our account to move on this building. The exact amount that was in our account due to the seemingly failed provision of the Wagner land. So this building is a very concrete, literally, symbol that God is always providing. God might have said, stay in the high school. And then we, we've given testimony that God is all pro always providing by calling us to stay in the high school. God might have led us somewhere else. Then we would get another story. But the fact is, the application of God's provision is less important than the fact that God is always providing His way. Do you have a Father Knows story? And do you have Father Knows Best kingdom stories? We have a dear brother and sister now who are going to share a Father Knows story and their own journey of how God has called them to seek the Lord and the Father that knows them. Hi. Hi there. I'm Margaret Philbrick. 
I'm this Charlie. Is Charlie Filbert, my husband. Uh, we're going to give you our testimony of generosity and how the Lord has provided so abundantly for us. And so let's pray before we do that because it's kind of nerve wracking. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just give you this testimony, we give it back to you. We praise you, Lord, for your goodness to all of us. Lord, that we get to stand here in this building today, that very concrete symbol of your love for us and your leading. And Lord, we just pray for this word, these words, Stuart's words today, to go deep into our hearts by your Holy Spirit's power. Yes. That generosity, Lord, would be unleashed in our midst and uh, in this day, even, Lord, in the kingdom intersections that you give to us. Thank you. Pray this in your holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We didn't want to do it. During our early years at Resurrection, we had three small children, lived in a tiny house with one bathroom upstairs, and dreamed of sending our kids to the Wheaton Christian Grammar School. Private school is <laughs> expensive, and we thought we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to afford it, uh, let alone three kids attending WCGS. After putting them to bed one hot summer night, uh, we sat together on our porch and we resigned ourselves to it. It is tithing. <laughs> Giving the first 10%, the top. Not the net of our earnings or something else. And so we begrudgingly agreed it was time. Uh, but wondered how could we afford it? Previously, we wrote random checks to Rez and also gave to our missionary friends, and all of that kind of added up to around 10% or so. Uh, but this would be 10% to the church, and the rest of our giving would be beyond that. We didn't know any immediate joy or even cheer in our offering, but we stuck to it. The Lord provided. Charlie's law practice grew. All our children attended Wheaton Christian Grammar School. I took a job at the greenhouse teaching writing. And while setting up to help out on the school lunch one afternoon, the phone call came. Charlie had just been fired from Holland and Knight, a large law firm in the city. In one conversation, we saw God's provisions seemingly shrink to nothing. I sat on the multi-purpose room stairs in disbelief. And, of course, crying. I'm always crying, so I was crying. We thought he was doing so well. Charlie was this wonderful lawyer. How could this happen to us? I conferenced in Stuart and Catherine on my phone, and we immediately prayed together that the Lord would provide a miracle for us. At that time, Resurrection was pursuing the Wagner land uh, as a future home, and Scott Pointner was the church's lawyer on the project. He worked here in Wheaton at a law firm called Rathje and Woodward, and we became friends with Scott through our collaboration. We called Scott to inquire about a possible future home for my law practice. In one week of interviews, client negotiations, and continued prayer, I accepted a job at Rathje. All before we even need to tell our children, Daddy lost his job. God protected them from worry and he provided beyond what we could have imagined. I took all my clients to Rathji and changed a two-hour commute into a short walk to work. I was home for dinner every night 
and able to attend track meets and concerts, which in the past I had missed because I was sitting on a train. The Lord is constantly challenging our generosity with Good Friday gifts, reach, move by Jesus, our friends, dear friends, leaving for the mission field, a new building for Wheaton Christian Grammar School, a new chapel for Honey Rock Camp, a new greenhouse school building, our kids' college educations, and then, unexpectedly, Jessica, a new foster daughter to care for. For the past 20 years, we've believed we are giving beyond our means. It is in that uncomfortable corner that we've seen the Lord graciously provide even greater resources and new opportunities to give. Our begrudging attitude uh, on the patio that summer night has changed to one of joy and anticipation. What will God invite us into next? This transformation of thought and heart didn't happen overnight. It came with decades of trusting in his faithfulness and witnessing the Lord miraculously provide infinitely more than we could have ever asked or imagined. His generosity to us is boundless, limitless, free, full of life and power. We can give like that without the expectation of getting anything in return because we have joy in who he is and what he has done for us. That's where it begins with Jesus and thanking him for showing us how to be generous. So we pray for all of us. Glory to God whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.